night and the Steelers play the Hells Angels at Altamont this coming Sunday. That should be a good game. But of infinitely more importance is USA Today published a lengthy story on the 25 best football movies of all time. And their number one movie is inexplicably Rudy. Rudy. Get the frig out of here, Rudy. Some jackass serves as a tackling dummy at practice at Notre Dame and gets two meaningless plays out of pity. Yeah, I know. It's a true story. It's a true story that shouldn't have been made into a movie. Rudy sucks. The guy and the movie. They both suck. Number one, my ass. The top five football movies in this story, they all suck. Well, the 1940 movie I ever saw. Knut Rotten, the All-American. But they got draft day number three. Even for Kevin Costner, that's a bad movie. It makes Waterworld look like the Godfather. Uh, Fairies Wear Boots brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Before we bring Tim Benz in, here's my definitive top five. Number one, the original Longest Yard. Burt Reynolds, just a classic. Rudy would have been raped in prison. Uh, The Longest Yard, number 11, according to USA Today. Number two, Friday Night Lights. Maybe the greatest sports book ever and one of the greatest sports movies ever. USA Today had it at number 22. Number three, Varsity Blues. Even though all the high school kids looked like grad students at college and they were all way too good looking, I got three words for you. Whipped cream bikini. USA Today had Varsity Blues at number 23. Number four. The Water Boy, if only because Kyra was in it and Dan Fox told Brent Musburger to shut up. Number 24, according to USA Today. Number five, The Replacements. It was low-rent territory for Gene Hackman, and Keanu Reeves is as wooden as an actor has ever been, but I watch it every time I'm channel surfing, and it's on. That's number 14 on the USA Today list. I didn't like The Blind Side. It was a football movie about Sandra Bullock. Heaven Can Wait was good, but I haven't seen it for a long time. I don't remember the Titans. I liked all the right moves. They're doing a Top Gun 2. They should do an All the Right Moves 2. Joining me now to discuss is Tim Benz. Uh, Tim, uh, let's start off with your top five. What do you got? Uh, I've got Friday Night Lights, number one. Reasonable pick. I agree with many of your sentiments there for all the reasons you point out. That's why it's number one for me. I like the characters in that movie, too. Yes. I like the real-life football characters. The fake football characters is why I love Varsity Blues as well, and Varsity Blues is number two for me. Uh, Again, Varsity Blues is like the fake-o. Friday Night Lights. It's exactly the FACO Friday Night Lights. And when you can involve a pig and Billy Bob wearing number 69, for God's sakes, how much better does it get? Miss Davis in the strip club in the early morning hours when the kids get out, that's a great scene. That was when it was unrealistic because when she told the boys that they'd be doing her a great favor if uh, they didn't tell, tell on her, you know, get her fired from teaching job, that's when they all say, look, the five of us, we're going to be having sex with you as long as you're a teacher, unless you want fired. 
Who do you think took whose character from whom? Lisa Ann took her Sarah Palin character from Miss Davis, or did Miss Davis take it from Lisa Ann? Because they're basically one of the same. I think Miss Davis trickled down from uh, Lisa Ann's Sarah Palin character. I think she's twice removed. Interesting note, one movie that I almost put in that didn't quite make it, a Lisa Ann film called 4th and 69, Covering the Spread. Just left that out on my top five. Great title. What else you got? Uh, All the Right Moves I Had at number three. Reasonable. Yeah. A little the, high. Reasonable. Uh, then I had the next two don't make the list. Who else, besides Tom Cruise, refresh my memory, who else was in uh, All the Right Moves? Uh, the coach was the guy from Coach, uh, Craig T. Nelson. Oh, right. He was kind of the evil coach. Right. And I'm trying to remember who the best friend was. The best friend was somebody, too, and now I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, was, though. Was it Christopher Penn? Yes. Uh, uh, yes, it was. Exactly. Uh, Sean Penn's brother. That's the one who knocked the girl up. Correct. There yes. you go. And uh, he he died not too long ago, right? Chris Penn? I think he did. I think he did. Um, I would like to see that sequel, too, that you brought up. I want to see what happened to all the guys that went to West Virginia. Did they wash out or what? Four and five are two that didn't make the list, but I like. I like the program. Did you like the program? I did like the program. I like the program because it's a completely different look at football. It doesn't glorify it. It vilifies it. You got, hey, look, any movie that has to be banned because kids are trying to do the stunts, I like. You remember oh, that? Oh, yeah, lying down uh, in the uh, middle of the road. In the middle of the road. I think there's one of the train tracks, too. Kids are get, if, you, if kids are dumb enough to emulate the movie, it's got to be a good movie. And I like the seediness of it, like the recruiting stuff and the steroid stuff. And I like the guy with the face paint. I liked him. I liked that Sonny Corleone was coaching the team. <laughs> hey, the whipped cream bikini scene. By the way, I think most film majors would agree that it's citizens, Citizen Kane with Rosebud, the single camera shoot in Goodfellas, the handling family matters thing from Godfather and then whipped cream bikini. Somewhere in that order, those are the top four in cinema history. And then my fifth one was the best of times. Remember that one? Was that Kurt Russell? No, it's Robin Williams. Oh, is Robin Williams, they, they he have has, a... He wants to come back in time to relive his catch, so to see how his life would have turned out differently if he made the catch in the big game. Well, is that the same plot as Mr. Destiny with Jim Belushi? Yeah, but I think... He struck it, out in the big high school baseball game? Yeah, that's right. We were talking about that before when Wolf was in. But that was that one came first. I really liked that. I don't know. I, I watched that with my dad. I have fond memories of that movie. It's not going to make anybody else's list, but that's my list. I had the, the original Longest Yard next, just out of it. Uh, Tim, I hate Rudy. How the frig was that ever made into a movie? Who made this list? Eric Parsegian. <laughs> I mean, how many Notre Dame movies can you put in the top five? It, it wasn't Dan Devine. You're right. No, no. Uh, you know what? You're calling to my attention something that kind of slipped by me. You, you got a lot of Notre Dame stuff. I mean, Rudy's a Notre Dame movie. Knut Rockney's obviously a Notre Dame movie. And I don't like Notre Dame almost as much as I don't like Rudy. And they totally just fabricated the importance of Rudy. And, and even like the plays in the big game and everything. I, I know people who were in the stands that day that make it sound like the events that transpired at Notre Dame Stadium that afternoon were nowhere near as dramatic of As, course they weren't. Like, there was a little murmur and a little, like, a round of applause for Rudy. It oh, wasn't like and, it stopped and, the game they, they, or did, something. They didn't hand their jerseys in, and, yeah. and Vince Vaughn didn't throw a long pass to, to put the ball back in the other team's hands so Rudy could play. You know, none of that happened. It just, it's totally overblown. And I will say this, I've met Daniel Rudiger, the real one, because uh, my friend Paul Fela from North Allegheny played at Notre Dame briefly, and I was out there to see him play baseball, and uh, I met Daniel Rudiger. 
and he's every bit the self-important <laughs> schmuck you'd think he'd be. Yeah, I've heard those stories, too. The fabrication of Rudy got way just too far for me, as opposed to, Mark, like Varsity Blues, where we all know Billy Bob made the catch from the offensive guard position to win that game. Everybody knows that happened. Now, uh, was draft day as bad as I remember it, and how is it number three with USA Today? Yeah, you know, I wanted to like that movie so much more than I did. I liked the intricacies at the end of how they manipulated the Browns rebuilding their whole franchise and like the draft, the actual draft element of it. The rest of the movie was just terrible though. It was just so bad. And the whole, wait, 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 did he walk off with his teammates or did he walk off by himself thing? Just was, oh, that was too schmaltzy. Well, I think Costner's the most overrated actor of all time. I think early on he had success with stuff like Dances with Wolves. And then as he got further into his career, it just became too self-indulgent. The movies were too long, like Wyatt Earp. You have to take a day off work to watch Wyatt Earp. Waterworld was was too long, too many glamour shots of Costner with uh, the ocean as a backdrop. He even ran out of making good sports movies after a while. Well, And, and the funny part is, uh, I, I will say, uh, Bull Durham was tremendous. Bull Durham was good. Tin Cup was good. Tin Cup. No? Little small seat, but yeah, overall good. I thought, you know who I thought the star of, of uh, Tin Cup was, was Don Johnson. Don Johnson was really good. Golfing here. Yeah, like especially when they had that scene in the calf in the nineteenth hole bar. Yes. Yeah, they're teeing off from within the nineteenth hole bar. That was a great scene. I also like the fact that I like y'all, the Y'all are nuts. You know that, right? <laughs> My favorite thing about Tin Cup is that it ends badly for the star. Like I love the fact that he just keeps whacking away and whacking away and loses the tournament. I like the way they did that. Um We agree that the longest jar is an excellent movie. You had it just out of your top five. I have it number one. Did you like the remake of The Longest Jar with Adam Sandler? Where do you stand on that? You know, I, I thought the disparity between the two was less than people who loved The Longest Yard. Like, people who loved the original didn't like the remake. I wasn't a huge fan of the remake, so when I saw... Sorry, when I, I was not a huge fan of the original, so when I saw the remake, I kind of thought they were closer in terms of enjoyment. Like, some people who loved the original didn't like the new one very much. Did you like the new one? Or because you had such it a... It was okay. Yeah, okay. You then. know, it was okay. I, I, you know, I thought, I thought two friends of mine stole the show. Who was that? Kevin Nash and Stone Cold oh, Steve yeah. Austin. I yeah, thought yeah. they were both brilliant. Yeah, I thought Stone Cold Steve Austin was pretty good. Well, and Kevin Nash, when the hormones started kicking in, <laughs> the estrogen, that was tremendous. I thought he did a better role there than Vince Williams did of Stone Cold Steve Austin at training camp. Let me well, put it to you that way. But let's set the bar higher. Now, <laughs> I now one thing about Sandler, too, in general, aren't there a lot more bad Adam Sandler movies than good Adam Sandler movies? Yeah. Yeah, there are, and there are a lot of them are. I can't keep them straight. Like if you try to reference an Adam Sandler movie, it's like which one was Billy Madison, um, you know, which one was from The Water Boy, which one was from The Longest Yard. They all kind of run together, don't they? No, no question. And and then like the Grown Ups movies, yeah, were just these ensemble casts with such milk toast scripts. You know, I just I, I don't know, and I think the guy's a great talent. I think he's made too many movies. I think he went to cash out as often as possible and, you know, start his own production company That's what I'm saying, like, credit. You know, each Adam Sandler movie, they're homogenized. Every Adam Sandler movie is kind of the same. Uh, also, I hate inspirational football movies. Uh, I like the criminals winning in The Longest Yard. I like that when Permian lost in Friday Night Lights. To Tommy Maddox, hi. I, I hated Blindside. Remember the Titans and We Are Marshall. I... I just don't need to feel that football's that important. Yeah, I'm with you. That's part of the reason why I like the program as much as I do, and I put it in my top five, because it gave 
a different element of nastiness throughout the movie. Same thing about Blue Chips for a basketball movie. I like. Did you watch Blue Chips? Yes. Same sort of reason. I like that. I like the fact that Pete Bell just quits and walks away, and none of those guys graduate from college. They all transfer or go to the pros. But like, I, I just like that there's sort of an undercurrent of it's not as pretty as we make it out to be. Yeah, like uh, one thing that was great about uh, the program, no one was presented in a sympathetic light. Correct. And that it was very Sopranos-esque in that fashion. There were no heroes. I, yeah, exactly. I like that part of it. Now, well, actually, did Omar Epps kind of become that at the end? I just don't like Omar Epps, oh, so all right. no. Okay, all right. Now, uh, what was your take? And it didn't make either of our lists, nor did it make, well, if it's on the USA Today list, I think it was in the middle of the pack, actually. What's your take on Jerry Maguire? Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. Does that count as a football movie? Funny you mention it. I have written right here. It's not a football movie. It's a Tom Cruise movie. That has football as the backdrop. Yes, exactly. I, you know, if you're going to talk about better movies or what is it, I would definitely put it higher than some of the ones that I had as far as being a good movie. I thought it was well written. I thought there were good characters in it. It was more about being an agent than it was about football, and it was more about a love story, a rom-com, than it ever was about football. I left off Necessary Roughness. But I like it. Uh, Robert Logit was great as the nutty assistant coach. You know the one that I have that's kind of like that is Wildcats with Goldie Hawn. Yeah, that was okay. You know, like flashing back, I kind of saw it not too long ago on like WGN or something to that effect, one of those stations. And I watched it. I was like, boy, I, I, I like this movie more than I should have when I was a kid. Now it doesn't hold up as well. But when it was out, you know, in the 80s, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, my, my favorite I like line, the cheerleaders. My my. Good call. My favorite line from Necessary Roughness was when the coach goes to the hospital with what he thought was a heart attack but turned out to be just indigestion, and he tells Robert Lozier, look, don't don't, don't give some corny pregame speech about the kids winning the game for me because I'm sick. And they cut to the locker room, and Robert Lozier says, Sam Gennaro didn't want me to say this to you, but he told me, if, you, if we don't win, I'll die. <laughs> now, that's the one with Kathy Ireland as a place kicker, yes. right? Yes. Better acting performance. Kathy Ireland is the place kicker in Necessary Roughness or Elle McPherson and Friends? Kathy Ireland. You think so? Yeah. yeah you're probably right. Yeah. Elle, she... Elle McPherson looked great for that season on Friends, though. She looked fantastic. Yeah, but Kathy Ireland in the tight football pants, there's any number of fantasies there. Tim, real quick, because we're going to ask Colby Armstrong this. Hockey movies, too? Are we doing hockey movies? Well, we're going to ask him really quickly. Uh, top three hockey movies. Uh, Miracle, number one. No doubt. Uh, that's one of my favorites of all time, regardless of genre. Probably, I, I guess, Young Bloods after that. How about you? See, I go with Slapshot 1. I'd probably do Slapshot 2. Goon 2 and uh, Miracle 3. The only thing about Miracle is they toyed with some of the facts in a movie where you didn't need to toy with any of the facts. Which facts did they toy with? Um... Nobody got slashed on on the first Russian goal. Oh, okay. They, they made it like a slash led to a turnover that caused the Russians to score and the referees didn't call it. And they changed the times of the goals in the third period for no good reason, not even any dramatic effect. And they uh, the dialogue on ice between the players was so schmaltzy and corny. It didn't ruin the movie for me, but it just, I loved the story. You know, because I know the story. I read every book on the story. I was friends with the guy who pretty much authored the story, her. Right. And the movie wasn't nearly as good as the story. 
And all they had to do was tell the story exactly, and they didn't do that. So you say the on-ice dialogue, you're talking about which scenes in particular? Like that... Like when, when they, they didn't talk to the Russians too much in that, did when, they? When, no, like when the guys are yelling at each other when they pass the puck, like Rizzo, Rizzo, which just doesn't happen out there. Oh, okay, all right. If you're open, I'll see you. And, and not only that, uh, I think the I forget who yelled who, who yelled for Aruzioni on the winning goal who passed it to him, but but you don't yell when you have the puck to the guy you're passing to. It just there's stuff in there, and plus, uh, it was Craig Patrick's fault. But uh, Noah Emmerich is Craig Patrick was nothing like Craig Patrick. That was because Craig Patrick wouldn't meet with them or talk with them or give them any background. But it was so misrepresentative of Craig Patrick. And again, that was Craig's fault. But it, and another thing I didn't like about the movie. Yeah, I thought he. Pl- Although I will say this, the best thing about the movie, why I still have it so high on my list, Kurt Russell nailed Herb. He was spot on. He got yeah. Herb exactly. He was spot on, and I, I think them walking out with all the notes. You know, all the notes right. when people, and they're tapping the notes. Which is true. Which is true. That, Like I said, if all you do in, in Miracle is tell the story exactly as it was, it would have been better than the story they told. Yeah, I, I, it chokes me up every time. Not as much as the dog movie I just saw at the Harris Theater. Did you see that? The one about the little puppies that they raised to become seeing-eye dogs? Have you seen this one yet? No, and won't. Yeah, it's absolutely heart torture. But it's fan- By the way, speaking of which, since you're a, you are a cat owner, once again, Clipper, right? I'm raising my cat Clipper to be a feline hand grenade. <laughs> Clipper well, will be very happy to know that uh, next Saturday, Southern Tier on the North Shore, I'm doing a fundraiser for the Trib. Uh, come out noon until 3. It's for animal protectors up in uh, New Kensington. And there are lots of cats to be adopted. So if you're thinking about pulling a Mark Madden and getting your own Clipper, uh, this would be a fine opportunity to look into that and have beer in the process because if you have a cat like Clipper, you're going to need a six-pack. That's Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. This is Phil Kessa of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden, the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Football is back, and Sheets wants you to win. Sheets is going to give you a chance to beat me, Mark Madden, at Fantasy Football. Go to 1059thex.com and sign up for the Pittsburgh Fantasy Football Challenge brought to you by Sheets. Try and beat me, the super genius, and get a chance to win a $50 gift card. But you won't beat me because... I'm way smarter than you. So sign up right now at 1059thex.com for the Pittsburgh Fantasy Football Challenge brought to you by Sheets. Play against me, the super genius, in fantasy football. While you're at it, download the Sheets app. It lets you order the food you want, when you want, how you want, from wherever you want, all without having to wait in line. And you rack up points on your Sheets card, which are redeemable for free stuff. So, sign up right now at 1059thex.com for the Pittsburgh Fantasy Football Challenge, brought to you by Sheets. Sheets, run and done. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Just all kinds of loose women. Women in various states of moral decay. (laughs) I wasn't kidding! The X at 105.9. I will take calls about the football movies, not hockey movies. That was kind of a throwaway code of that conversation, but I will take calls about the football movies only for this segment and the next segment. And I'd prefer not to, but uh, heck, I'm the one who brought it up. Double M on the X, 412-333-9939. Later on the show, we're going to talk about the fine T.J. Watt of the Steelers got 
Remember against Atlanta, he got that hokey roughing the passer call when he just kind of brushed up against uh, the quarterback, Matt Ryan, his knee when he was on his way to the ground? Well, today he got fined 20K for it, and everybody's you know going nuts about that. But uh, you need to understand, and I'll expand on this at 5 o'clock. The NFL belongs to the NFL, not you. They want to protect the quarterbacks. It's about offense and points and not hard hits anymore. And if you don't like that, don't watch. Because it will go further in that direction as opposed to them kind of backtracking at any point. I thought they would backtrack on these calls. I've been told, and it looks like they are not going to. Uh, Staying with football, Philadelphia killed the New York football giants last night in Thursday Night Football, and Odell Beckham Jr. was pissed, and he left the field before the first half was over, and it was while the Giants' offensive unit was on the field. He just walked out. The Sporting News has a perfect headline. Quote, the Giants fed the monster, and now Odell Beckham Jr. is more unmanageable than ever. Unquote. That's right on the money. The Giants gave Beckham term and money, and he's not grateful, he's out of control, and the Giants still stink. That's on the Giants. Beckham is just being Beckham. Beckham did an interview with Lil Wayne. Him and Lil Wayne talking to Josina Anderson of ESPN. Why ESPN felt the need to have Lil Wayne there, I don't know. How about Eli Manning referred to that interview and called him Little Wayne? Not Lil Wayne. Little Wayne. That's a pretty white thing to do. Let's go to uh, Carter in the car. Carter, you're on with Double M. Hey, what's up, Mark? What up, man? Hey, I just wanted to ask you, you think it would be smart of Mike Sullivan to maybe uh, this season share the starting goalie position with Casey DeSmith and Matt Murray, especially no. after Murray's fifth no. four start? No. I don't know, man. Last, last no, night, no, I no, mean, no. The only answer we're looking for here is no. Okay? You want to make Casey DeSmith the co-number one starter after one game for him and three games on the season. It's just Casey not DeSmith going to happen. Casey DeSmith, Casey DeSmith never got drafted. He's barely been in the National Hockey League. I think he's a pretty good goalie as a backup. But, bro, think about this. Think about how dumb you sound. Think about your family and friends out there listening, realizing how dumb you sound. You want to take a goalie? Shut up, shut up. Let the guy, the fans, turn on the radio to hear talk. You want to take a guy who's won two Stanley Cups and is a goalie of pedigree, third-round pick, I think, and have him split the job with an undrafted goalie who's barely played in the league. Please tell me now. You can talk now. Tell me how that makes sense. Matt Murray did not win those cups on his own, and he wasn't. Oh, won you, know, you know what? You know what? You stupid <laughs> shut. <laughs> stupid effort. Get lost. Get lost. Matt Murray. We should have kept Flurry. I jerk at the pictures of Flurry. 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 Let's go to Ray in South Hills. Hi, Ray. You're on with Mark. Double M. Hey, you're talking about the football movies. 
what about any? No, no, I'm talking about uh, hardcore German bondage pornography. Yes, we've been talking about the football movies. None of you guys mentioned any given Sunday. Uh, I thought I mentioned it in passing. I, it's now, not my top five. Really? Really. It, 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 you know what? I love Oliver Stone movies. I just don't think that, that his style, that kind of like just weirdo conspiracy, so, so serious style, lend right. itself well to a sports movie. There were parts about it I liked. I thought Pacino was great. I, I thought Lawrence Taylor playing it. himself basically right. was great. But the whole thing was just too overwrought. Well, and they, I, I just because they showed how seedy everything is behind the scenes with the NFL and, you know, the, 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 the controversy with the doctors. You know, James Woods was main. There were elements of it. You're right. What you're citing now, James Woods was good. You know who else was good? Was uh, I think it was John C. McGinley as the Ladmott sports guy, the media guy, the, the talk yeah, show host. Yeah, it was, because he got knocked out. <laughs> I, I didn't like Jamie Foxx. And I didn't like the main storyline, which was the third-string quarterback should keep the job indefinitely even when the first-string quarterback's ready. Is ready to run, yeah. I, That's I not that. how it works. Let's go real quick to John and Slippery Rock. John, you're on with Double M. Hey, what up, Big Sexy? What up, man? Hey, I was just thinking about uh, North Dallas 40. That's kind of an old-school movie, but uh, Nick Nolte, Mac Davis. Nah. Saw it. It, it was kind of average. Same with Semi-Tough with, with Burt Reynolds and Chris Christopherson. It yeah, was yeah. It was okay. You know what else? And, and, I, and I, maybe this is unfair. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read the book Semi-Tough? Yeah, I did, actually. Dan the Jenkins. Book. The book is one of the best sports books ever written and might be the best sports fiction book ever written well that uh, and 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 I, when the movie came out it wasn't half of what the book was so i i can't rate the movie highly we got bernie paul and dave on hold and we got colby armstrong talking hockey next hour keep it right here on 105.9 and now the super genius mark madden he erupts he clears his throat, says something meaningless. Do it when in a fight. Lemmy or God? I think it's a trick question. Lemmy is God. The X at 105.9. Double M on X. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. D'Angelo Williams is on fire on Twitter. Pro Football Focus put up a tweet with a graphic. James Conner is forcing mixed tackles at a higher rate so far this season than any season of Le'Veon Bell's career so far. And D'Angelo responded, well, in Le'Veon Bell's defense, they never got close enough for you to count it as a missed tackle. You can't tackle what you can't touch. You know, there's some merit in that statement. And uh, another tweet, I'm going to say it for the last time. Connor is a really talented back, but there isn't a running back in the NFL that can do what Bell does. And then D'Angelo adds, let's not play that we could be four in one game. I love Connor's running style. It's good for any offense. But when people stop putting him and Bell in the same sense, maybe we all can enjoy Connor doing good. That is great stuff by D'Angelo Williams. 412 
333-9939 is the number to call. We got Bob McLaughlin in just a few. At the top of the hour, we're going to talk about that fine TJ Watcott. 20K from the NFL for barely grazing the knee of the Atlanta quarterback, Matt Ryan, in Sunday's uh, win over the Falcons. Uh, Watt drew a flag for roughing the passer, but if you breathe heavy on the quarterback right now, it's roughing the passer, and apparently a 20K fine. But I'm not saying that's bad, and I think most of you should just accept that that is how it is. Let's go to Bernie from Parts Unknown. Bernie, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Mr. Madden, super genius. Uh, I have a question. I'm, I'm a Notre Dame fan, and around this time of year, you know, whenever Notre Dame is pit play, I'm always the, the target of a lot of vitriol directed towards Notre Dame, and I, I honestly don't understand it. They seem to be a relatively upstanding university, you know, a decent program. Yeah, except for when they sent the equipment manager up on that tower to die. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's an unfortunate circumstance. Who, who said? Yeah, really unfortunate circumstance. The coach didn't have the brains to not send a kid up on a tower in a windstorm. Really unfortunate. I, I think though, I think Monte Teo's fake girlfriend told him to go up there. What else you got? I mean, I, I think they they vacated wins. They they seem to have some modicum of commitment to the student athlete, and I just don't understand. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the greatest the greatest place in the world. But they shouldn't be eligible for the national championship if they don't play in a conference. But isn't that more true to the roots of college football and, and college ac- and academics to not be in a conference? I mean, yeah, what happened? Yeah, they're really true to the cause of academics, like all these other football factories are. Actually, Notre Dame is a pretty good school academically. I don't know what standard they hold their football players to, because quite honestly, this is the most we've talked about college football in this show for years. Just this last magical ninety seconds I've spent with you. I appreciate it. Oh, I do too. Thank you for the call. Get up there on that tower, kid. If you die, at least we'll have film from today's practice. And Notre Dame and the coach never got the heat they should have for that. That's like, I mean, the kid, nobody forced them, but in my book, that's close to manslaughter. Now, if the kid would have got up on the tower and started throwing furniture, that's a different story. No, what what a terrible thing that was. Like I said, Notre Dame just, they didn't even pay much of a price in bad PR for that. Let's go to Paul in Beachview. Paul, you're on the Mark Madden Show. Hey, Mark. How you doing? Great. Hey, I have a simple movie, but uh, I know it's not in the top ten or nothing, but have you seen Lucas? Uh, yeah, it was terrible. Anything else? Is that the one about the about the? Who, was that Corey Haim or Corey Feldman Corey, or yeah, the late Corey Haim? Yeah, I thought it was dumb. It's about the kid who gets a chance and then everybody loves him, right? Yeah, it's on order like Rudy. Well, I would not have given him a chance, and I don't love him. Thank you for the call. I'm next going to talk to Bob McLaughlin. You know what's disappointing? I thought we'd get a lot of Penguin talk today. I really did. It wasn't a great win last night. Penguins got outshot pretty good, but it was a solid win. Beat Vegas. Vegas now drops to one and four. Rust on the Sid line. Hornquist on the 
Broussard line. Looks like Ole Mata may get in the lineup at Montreal tomorrow night. Alexiak was in the fourth pair uh, today at practice. Too many turnovers, though. 16 in the loss to Montreal, 12 last night. It seems like the more Sullivan preaches about managing the puck, the Penguins are determined to not do it very well. Let's go to Nick in the car. Nick, you're on with Double M. Hey, uh, what do you think about Ricola? Do you, uh, are you waiting for someone to get hurt to bring him in? Do you want to keep him up? He actually played time? last night. I thought he looked good. Okay, so clearly they didn't wait for someone to get hurt to put him in. I, I, I'm saying moving forward. I mean, no, I, he's my seventh defenseman. Okay. I it's mean, I, 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 that doesn't mean he doesn't have talent and shouldn't get a bigger look moving forward. But last night was his first game in the NHL. And as I've been saying ever since he became a training camp sensation, we are overreacting to relatively insignificant developments in his career. Well, I mean, for him, they're big. Agreed. But a training camp doesn't mean a lot. Exhibition games don't mean a lot. Last night he played 18 minutes and was even on the plus minus. Didn't make any great plays, didn't make any bad plays either. He's 24 years old, didn't get drafted, never played in North America before this year. When I look at the big picture, and even when I consider what happened last night, you know what he sounds like to me? A seventh defenseman. Let's go to Dominic in the car. Dominic, you're on with Double M. What do you think about the Brian Piccolo song or Bob story? Brian's song? Yes. Why do I want to watch a football movie and cry? <laughs> I got you. Thanks, Double M. I will say this, though. When I was a kid, I watched Brian's song. For those who don't know, Brian Piccolo, James Conn played Brian Piccolo. Who played Gail Sears? Was it Billy D. Williams? I forget who played Gail Sears. I think it was a very young Billy D. Williams. But uh, it was about Brian Piccolo was a backup running back for the Chicago Bears. He was white. Gail Sears is one of the greatest running backs of all time. Uh, he was black and played for the Bears. And not enough people remember that because his career was shortened by injury. But I think Gail Sears, look at his stats. He's one of the greatest running backs of all time. I think he only played like five or six seasons, though. But but those two had a friendship, which, let's be honest, back then, with black and white in the uh, divisive times they lived in, and that especially went in pro sports, you know, that was a rarity, that kind of friendship. And uh, Brian Piccolo got cancer and died, and it's about uh, Gail Sears supporting Brian Piccolo in the aftermath. And uh, I watched that movie... When I was like 11 years old, that's the first time I really thought about that we're all going to die. And I cried. I'm not sure I wanted to see that movie. You know, I mean, did I learn a valuable lesson? I would have figured out sooner or later that people die. Now I think about it all the time. And honestly, there's a big part of me can't wait. Uh, Gail Sears only played in 68 games. And he averaged five yards per carry. One season, he averaged 6.2 yards per carry. He only played a full season of 14 games uh, three times. He only played nine or more games five times. His last two seasons, he played just two games per. The injuries were just too much for him. Uh, He also was, and some people say, he's a great kick returner. Some say he might have been the 
best kick returner of all time, had eight kick return touchdowns in his very abbreviated career. Just a, a tremendous player. Up next, we talk to Bob McLaughlin. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark? Yes? I have a crush on you. What a gutless bitch the Hebrew hammer is. We can read. What a bubblehead. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. I'm joined now by Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought you by 84 Lumber. Bob, Penguins beat Vegas last night. Uh, I wouldn't say they looked great, but they looked better. How could you not look better than they did in that 5-1 loss to Montreal? Uh, what was your take on the NHL debut of Juso Ricola? Uh, I liked it. Um, one of the, I missed a little bit of the beginning of the game, and one of the first things I saw when I turned on the TV was his big hit in that early first up against the board, so I liked that. Um, he seemed comfortable clearing the puck. He skated well. He didn't get knocked off the puck, and uh, he wasn't timid about blocking shots. So uh, I guess nothing spectacular, but nobody went around him. Um, he wasn't careless back there. I, I liked it. Yeah, I thought he was okay, and all he needed to be was okay. I do find it odd that uh, it looks like Alexiak's out tomorrow night and only Mata's in, and that means either Rikola or Mata has to play on the right side if they pair together. I would assume Rikola because I've never seen Mata play uh, anything but the left side. Yeah, it's uh, kind of weird when I saw it this morning, but the uh, first thing I thought of was like, if you were going to sit someone that's what you've been saying the last couple of days, you would have Alexiak down um, and you know, you'd have Mata back in there with Ricola, so I'll be very interested to see how it works out, specifically as to what the Canadians were able to do to the Penguins last time. Uh, still kind of, I don't think the defense is too buttoned up yet. Obviously, it's early in the season. They got some stuff to work on, uh, but it is interesting to watch right now. What was your take on Casey DeSmith last night? Uh, he really held the Penguins in there in the first period when the, the Gold Knights got 16 shots, allowed just the one goal, and and I thought played a very solid game. Uh, I still think the moron who called earlier and say that he and Murray should be co-number ones, I still think he's a moron. But uh, <laughs> I, I, every time I see Casey DeSmith play, he proves to me uh, that he's a more than capable backup goaltender. Yeah, and he's more than he's the guy instead of Jari right now, right? I guess so. I mean, that would be your preference because I thought that first period, Mark, he My did everything. My preference for a long time would have been Jari. But they feel, and I agree, that he's not lived up to their expectations. And I, I think it's cause. I don't. I always hate to get inside somebody's head unless they really wear their thoughts on their sleeve. But Jari's only a year younger than Murray. I think he sees he can never be number one here, and maybe that's held him mm. back mentally. Maybe that's discouraged him. And perhaps that showed up in his development. Well, I guess maybe I'm thinking of what have you you know done for me lately, but I liked DeSmith as the backup. I liked his play last night specifically in the first. Um, I thought he kept the Penguins in it. I think he has earned the backup role. And, that, and that's a super small sample size. I totally get that. Um, but I agree with you. I think he should be number two. And he, he proved that last night. Uh, Hornquist is off the sid line already. <laughs> I heard that somewhere before. Well, we know Sid, we, it always happens. We know Sid doesn't like playing with him because he doesn't have the speed and touch through the neutral zone. Rust has the speed through the neutral zone. I'm not sure about the touch, but uh, it just seems like as soon as Hornquist and Sid get put together, before you know it, it's ripped asunder. And I like Rusty as a third liner. I don't like him on the Sid line. I liked a couple of things. There were twice last night I can think back. Uh, 
Rusty had the puck and he just went right around people to get into the zone. Um, so I do love that speed. And he's not careless with the puck over, Mark. He makes some pretty nice plays when he has it. I guess, you know, everything I've seen and read about him is that he does have good hands. Um, so I know what you're going at with Hornquist being your preference on the first line instead of Rust. But at this early, again, we talked about this the other day with defense. I don't mind Coach Sullivan looking at this again, maybe trying to fit them together. And maybe that gets Sid going, you know, because Sid hasn't played badly. I, I think he's doing fine. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at some of the other superstar numbers and what they're doing with points right now, uh, maybe they're just looking for something to get Sid going. Well, you know what that'll be, don't you? Simone will be on that right wing. Maybe not sooner, but I I'm sure later. <laughs> I didn't want to say it because I, you know, because I, I knew the reaction you were going to get. Simone's played fine so far. I just think he is a third line guy, period. I agree with you. Uh, what about uh, Phil last night? Uh, oh. Three goals, a true Hattie, each finish more crisp than the last. I got to give uh, Malkin and Horn and uh, Malkin and Haglin credit. Gino and Haggy threw two unbelievable breakaway passes, but it's kind of funny because when Sully talks about playing with more structure and defense, that doesn't exactly describe Phil Kessel even on his best day. And on both those goals, Phil Kessel flew the zone without the puck, and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, I'm not sure that's a good thing to do when you're looking for more structure and defense. That's why I like being a fan instead of being a coach or being someone who has to critique them all the time. Because those two plays, Mark, I mean, as of right now, I could see them being on my favorite plays at the end of the season. He picked them up in stride, put them right where he wanted them, and then as he came in on goaltender, he knew exactly what he was going to do, and he did it. I mean, both goals were almost mirror images, uh, and it was just typical Phil Kessel. It's exactly what people want from 81. That's Bob McLaughlin. I'm Mark Madden. In 30 seconds, we're going to talk about that fine on TJ Watt. 20K for barely brushing the knee of Atlanta quarterback Matt Ryan. You're listening to 105.9 The X.